So there's a, an American author by the name of John Eldred. He's from Denver in Colorado. And he wrote a book called Wild at Heart, where he describes the masculine journey. Now, I won't be going into it much today, uh, but he makes some interesting points about the, the stages of masculine development. So the stages of, of a boy becoming a man. Obviously, we're not talking about biology here. We're talking about like the interior life. We're talking about the, uh, how we see ourselves, our understanding, how we see the world. Okay? So uh, he, he identifies a number of stages in this masculine journey. The first stage is to recognize ourselves, for men to recognize themselves, as beloved sons. That's the, the foundation. So the foundation of, of our understanding of ourselves and our role in the world, uh, our foundation is that we're loved and that we're loved as sons. Okay, that one I'll talk about later, so I'm going to skip on to the, to the next couple of stages and we'll come back to that one. Uh, so the next stage then is the, what he calls the cowboy stage. Yes, he's American, so uh, the cowboy stage. And the cowboy stage is the stage where maybe in your, your 9, 10, 11, 12, you get your first mountain bike and you're able to kind of go away from home yourself and have adventures and build forts and build tree houses and cops and robbers and cowboys and Indians or snakes and ladders, whatever, whatever the joke, whatever the games are today, anyway, where it's you versus another team and, you know, but you, 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 you're playing not with your, your, your parents anymore, with your, your mom, your dad, you're, you're going off on, on little adventures, you know, and it's, 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 these are times of, of, of again, self-discovery. You're learning how to, how, to, how to build things and how to climb and how to fall and how to roll and, and how to uh, be a little more independent, okay? The next stage then that, that John Eldridge identifies is what he calls the uh, warrior stage. So the warrior stage is you recognize that life <clears throat> isn't only about adventures, that sometimes there's something worth fighting for. That's generally, we'd associate that with that kind of university age, you know, where you get to university and you want to change the world and you want to fight for against, against climate change and save the whales and you know, fight for rights for whatever group it is. Or, but you want to fight for something. There's something worth fighting for. You know, you're, 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 you think of any of the, a lot of the, the rebellions in the past. It was, it was the younger generation. You ever think of the, the anti-war uh, groups there during, say, Vietnam or that sort of thing. You know, the, the students rising up, uh, recognizing there's something that, that, that to fight for Students generally have high ideals, which is, a, again, a good thing per se. Um, we'll, um, that would be a whole other homily, but generally speaking, they do have ideals. They want to have a, a better world, a, a cleaner world, a safer world, a uh, more prosperous world than, 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 than in previous generations. So uh, the, the, this warrior stage, they want to fight for something. Okay? After that stage is the, what uh, John identifies as the, the lover stage. So after you know, fighting for things, you recognize that life isn't just about a cowboy being a, having adventures. It's not just about fighting for things. At times there's actually there's a, a need for, for tenderness. There's a need for poetry and Disney. There's a need for, for you know, like it's not, your strength isn't given to you just like to, to, to fight for things, but also like to, to comfort a little child to, to protect, you know, your, your wife or your, or your beloved, your family, you know, like that, that you're, 
all of the, all, everything that you have amassed, your, 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 your intellectual and physical ability and all that kind of thing, it's not just about fighting and breaking things down, but it's about building up safety and security and protection and, and this lover stage, he calls it. After that lover stage, then, is the what he calls the, the kingly stage. So you've reached the, the pinnacle of your career, of your influence, and he's, he's, it's very interesting when, when he speaks about that. He, he doesn't say this now is the time for, for partying and expensive, lavish holidays or anything, but he says, you know, a, a king is only a good king when they serve. A king is only a good king when they serve. Like kings back in the day, scripturally also, a king's job wasn't just to sit in, 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 in a palace and dine uh, for hours a day. His job was to protect the borders. His job was to protect the kingdom against foreign invaders. His job was to, to ensure that, that there was justice within that kingdom uh, so that all could prosper and have sufficient food and land and water supplies and, as I say, safe boundaries. So that was, the, that was his job. Uh, so it, it came with huge responsibility, which he says also is very interesting. He says that kingly sage often is associated with a certain amount of, of loneliness, that, yes, you're influential, yes, uh, you have a certain amount of power, but you have an awful lot of responsibility. And with that comes a, a certain amount of loneliness. After that, then, he identifies what he calls the, the, the phase of the, the sage, so the, the wise old man, the grandfather kind of st stage, where they've had a life of experience, a life of successes and failures, a life of, of relationships and all that they've learned from, from others and about themselves, uh, but maybe they can be a bit, a bit disregarded because, oh, that granddad, that's not the way I think. We have a thing now called TikTok, granddad. You wouldn't know anything about it, right? And we have Dinternet, right? Okay? So you wouldn't know anything about these things, granddad. But they have a wealth of experience and knowledge, uh, but are often, as I say, kind of set aside. Okay, why am I saying all of that? Today's the Feast of St. Francis, and you can see these, some of these stages very clearly in, in St. Francis' life where, again, I want to come back to the, to the beloved son, because the beloved son bit was something that St. Francis had to uh, relearn. When St. Francis was born in 1181, his dad was away on a business trip to France, and uh, Pietro, uh, St. Francis' dad, loved France and all things French. He loved French music, he loved French clothes, and he loved French culture and French food and French... He uh, would trade a lot, a lot with France for um, material, um, for making clothes, fine clothes for wealthy nobles. Uh, so he would often travel uh, between Italy and, and France for, for, for business reasons. So he was off on one of these business trips to France, and he comes back, and voila, his uh, wife is just after giving birth to a little boy who she called Giovanni John, after John the Baptist, and Pietro was raging because he said, I don't want to call my son after any of these religious folk. Right? So he re-nicknamed him, or renamed him, even though officially his name was still Giovanni. Uh, he nicknamed him Francesco, which means Frenchy, or Frenchman. Kind of Frenchy. If, we were, if he was Irish, he would have called him Frenchy. So Frenchy. Uh, so, and that, the name stuck. So Francesco became his name, even though it's not his, he, he wasn't baptized Francesco. Okay, Francesco in his youth, loved his little uh, cowboy stage, loved little adventures, loved 
um, going off with his friends. He was a very likeable chap, uh, very humorous, but maybe almost too likeable in that it allowed it allowed him to get away. We would say in Ireland to get away with murder. Uh, that he, you know, if he was lazy, people would say, "Ah, sure, look, he, he he means well." If he was sick, everyone would try to take care of him. You know, he was just kind of really likable. Uh, so everyone liked him. Everyone took care of him. But it meant that he kind of he was kind of spoiled. Uh, didn't really learn to to, to toughen up. Uh, so this this cowboy phase in his life uh, was quite long. So. A period, a time came then when, when yes, he wanted to uh, wanted to fight for something, but his desire to fight was was completely polluted by vanity. He wanted to fight. He wanted to, to fight, fight, but not so much for a noble cause and win this cause, but so that people would think he was amazing, so that he would come back with notoriety, with glory. He wasn't, you know, generally one would hope anyway when we're fighting, we're fighting for, a, you know, a cause, for a greater good. Not for me, not for my name, not for vana gloria, as they call it in Italian, vain glory or, or, or for, for one's own uh, gain. But this was very much him. He wanted to fight for his own glory. So he went uh, to battle and when Assisi and Perugia uh, were declared war on each other, Francesco runs into battle and the, the, the Assisians uh, get absolutely slaughtered, but because Francesco was from a noble background, he was taken as a prisoner and held uh, for ransom for a whole year in a Perugian dungeon, which wouldn't have been pleasant, to say the least. Uh, he was only, his life was only spared because he was wealthy, so at least he got to hang out with other wealthy folk in the dungeon. Uh, so he felt now he was among his peers. He was in the right class, anyway, of society in a dungeon. Uh, so after a year he was, he was freed and the ransom was paid and he went home uh, somewhat embarrassed I mean they went to defend their boundaries and their borders and failed miserably ok so he was freed and sent back home but another opportunity came then to go to the uh, crusades but he didn't want to go to the crusades as a mere foot soldier as he was before he wanted to go as a knight and so he asked Papa to have him, uh, to have some armour made for him, but no ordinary armour, I'll have you know, but armour with um, gold etchings and all sorts of wonderful, beautiful decorations and a matching cloak and a matching steed, of course, as well. So um, he had uh, the horse, uh, the cloak and the armour, all good to go, and he rides off into battle head high, and uh, as, he, as he rides away, again, keep, keep in mind this, this warrior phase in his life, even though, as I say, it's kind of, it is polluted by vanity, uh, he's riding off into battle to the Crusades, and he only gets about a day away when he feels in his heart the Lord call him, call him home, and call him to leave this life of vanity and superficiality. And the very interesting thing is like, that there was something special about Fran- Fran- Francesco Francis, because even though he, to, like thus far as I say, uh, he would say he lives a, a, in, in, a, in a life of sin. And even though, again, he was kind of practicing, his faith de- definitely hadn't gone deep. It's quite similar to the story of St. Patrick, six centuries beforehand. Uh, 
or St. Augustine similarly. But this, this, uh, the faith was there, there was, a, there was a hunger there for something more, but couldn't really put their finger on it. They thought of if I was wealthy, if I was popular, uh, if I was successful in battle, maybe some of these things would, would fill this, this need for something more. But while he's riding away, he just hears the voice of God calling him back. Now, keeping in mind how small villages are, or how, how towns are, the fact that he would have been known to turn his little horsey around and ride back home, not having even reached the battle, that was going to be noted. So when he returns home, he becomes Francesco the coward, who wouldn't go to battle. Francesco the fool, who wasted so much money on armor and on a horse and so on and so forth, and doesn't even raise the sword. You know, Francesco then, who very much lost favor with his own father, who saw him as a complete waste of time after him investing uh, so much in his military efforts, which were just a, a flop, a complete waste of time. So he comes home, and there's something, there's something missing. And this, 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 this closeness with God remains. And he visits the a, a, a church of St. Damien, San Damiano, and it's there that he hears the voice of God asking him to rebuild his church. Rebuild his church. And as he looks around, he looks at the church, and the church absolutely did need some renovation. So he goes home and somewhat spontaneously and impetuously takes his father's rolls of expensive material and sells them for half nothing uh, to make a quick buck, quick money, in order to pay for the renovation of the church of St. Damien. So he buys the wood and whatever necessary and starts to rebuild the church. But of course, his father comes home and says, hang on, where's all my stuff gone? Where's my material gone? That stuff is worth whatever it was, thousands. Uh, you sold it for a fraction of that and kept the money for yourself. So he brought his own son, Pietro, brings Francesco, to a kind of a public court uh, in which the bishop was judge and jury. So in the town square, Pietro accuses his own son of stealing, of theft, and asks that he return the money and renounce his inheritance. Francesco promptly says, I will, I will absolutely return the money, and I renounce my inheritance, and I renounce, indeed, all worldly goods, and he proceeds to, well, you do, be reduced to his He strips his clothes off and stands there, starkers, and says, I renounce everything for the greater joy. I'm not recommending, do not do this. Do, I'm not recommending this to anyone, ever. He did it, he's a saint now, so it all came good, but just, I'm just, don't do it. Okay. Uh, but it's just this, such was his, again, his kind of spontaneity, you know? I renounce everything for God. Whoa. <laughs> but um, this, this was, the, this was the, like the heart of the man. So he uh, then is somewhat banished or decides to go off to the forest and live there, but live a life of prayer, live a life of contemplation, live a life of freedom, a life of joy, a life where the Lord was very much enough for him. But it's interesting how, how this, this example drew other men to him. So other guys were here. Sorry, are you this Francesco guy living in the forest? I am. Can I? Would you mind if you know, I join you? And he said, sure. So then this, this community began to grow and grow and grow. Now, there was nothing attractive about it. I mean, they didn't have a, a monastery. It's not, like back in the day, 
there was always a, a danger that people would enter religious life because you were guaranteed three meals a day and a roof over your head. So in times of poverty, that was always a difficulty for religious institutions that a lot of people would want to enter just because there was security there. Not because they had a religious vocation, not because they wanted to serve God, but because they wanted to eat. So this wasn't the case with, with, with Francis at, at this stage. Like, There's no monastery. They're living in a forest. And then they became what they call a mendicant order, so a begging order, where they would go around to houses with a wee bucket and say, hi, we're the, they weren't called Franciscans at this, at this stage, we're the monks, the prayer people in the forest there. Have you any leftover food? And again, you, you, you know, the, the bucket wasn't divided into different sections. So if someone had leftover soup, that went in. If someone had leftover carrots, that went in. If someone had leftover coffee, that went in. If someone had leftover ice cream, that all went in, into the one bucket. It's kind of like our chicken bucket. What we would call our, well, yeah, for those watching, we have a slops bucket in the kitchen for, for leftover food. That's kind of what they would have had. And then you bring that home and say, look what I got, guys. <laughs> and everyone tucks in. Like, it wasn't pleasant. It wasn't, but guys kept joining. Why? Why? Francis was learning to fight for something, but also entering into this, this lover stage, this lover, of, this lover of God. Love of God above all things. Love of God above wealth, above comfort, above security. Love of God above everything. And that was attractive. That attract, that stirred up that same desire in other men's hearts. And they joined him. St. Francis, though, had to rediscover his own foundation. The foundation being that of a, of a beloved son. Because he had seen that his father's love was somewhat conditional. His earthly father's love was somewhat conditional. You know, I will love you as long as you're successful, as long as you're good at business. I love you as long as you know what to do with money. But as soon as you start to become a little, admittedly, a bit reckless with money... I disown you. This was Francis' experience of earthly fatherhood. And that had to be healed. He had to rediscover what true fatherhood is so that he could be a father to others and also that his own heart could be healed from his own father wounds and that he could understand the heart of, of this God that he's serving. He had to rediscover what it meant to, to, to have a father and to be a father. He had to learn what it meant to be a beloved son. And I think that's a hugely important lesson for all of us, for every single one of us. Because the other stages, we, we, can, we can move on. But I, I think we'll always be grasping. I think we'll always find ourselves grasping for, for momentary or temporary solutions or fulfillments of certain desires but we find ourselves grasping if that foundation isn't solid there won't be we won't be at peace without a solid foundation and that's where the Lord comes in I mean that Jesus wants to show us the Father Jesus wants that we know the Father that we know we're unconditionally loved and this, can, this is a journey this is, I'm not expecting this to, to, to uh, to, to 
to arrive at its conclusion after one homily. But I think it's important to note this is the goal, that this is actually what we should be aiming for. Some of us have had absolutely fantastic dads, thank God. Uh, some maybe not. Or maybe we've had good dads, but they had their limitations, which again is quite common. Our fathers tend to be human. Uh, so what do, we, what do we do? How do we rediscover the heart of our father? This is Jesus' goal. Jesus wants us to know our Father. He wants us to have a solid foundation in that knowledge that we are beloved sons and daughters. And from that foundation, then everything else is built. Rocky foundation, no matter how much, no matter how elaborate the building looks, no matter how impressive it might look, with a solid foundation, it's easily knocked. So we get our foundation right. And that can be done afterwards. It's not really the right order, but it can be done. Uh, to get our foundation right, even though some of the building is already built. If we need to go back, if we need to discover the heart of our Father, if we need to be, to be reassured that we are beloved sons and daughters, well then, let's do that. Let us allow Jesus to reveal to us the heart of his Father. That through the prayer intercession of St. Francis, we might rediscover our identity as beloved sons and daughters of a loving Father. Amen.